Well, good morning, Cross Point. How are you guys doing? We're good. You're awake. I'll get you some coffee and wake you up. My name is Brian. I'm the uh, connection pastor here at Cross Point, and uh, I just want to say it's good to be back. Um, for the last couple of years, uh, I've been serving in our equipment campus, and um, we are excited to uh, see Nick uh, take a step up in his ministry, and y'all keep him in your prayers. He's over there leading this morning uh, in his hometown. And I know God's going to use him in a big way, but uh, glad to be here this morning. And, um, you know, this week has been, has been absolutely hectic, to say the least. And uh, David uh, texted me Saturday afternoon, and he said, hey, man, uh, I need you to preach. And uh, I said, all right, cool, man. What's going on? He's like, well, we just uh, made it to Atlanta, and uh, Marley's about to have her baby. And so uh, I just want to celebrate with you guys this morning. I think, yeah, we got the picture up there. That's little Liam. And uh, so they're up there being uh, happy grandparents this morning. And uh, yeah, we can give them a hand. I said, man, don't worry about it. We got it down here. And uh, I was laughing this week. I was just through Facebook. It's like everybody had babies this week. So uh, I don't know. Um, but uh, it's awesome to be here and uh, you know, just uh, Michael was mentioning the building. Uh, it is, uh, things are just happening over there at uh, an unbelievable pace. Every day you go, there's something new, uh, whether it's painting or the floors or uh, the parking lots are paved. And, uh, and so that's an awesome thing. We'll have places to park and, and room. It's looking really, really amazing over there. And so it's just exciting to see how God's moving in so many different ways. And uh, I do want you to mark your calendar, March the 4th. Uh, we're going to have a, uh, a day of landscaping out there, so bring your gloves and uh, some work clothes and uh, maybe a shovel, and uh, we're going to uh, do some work out there, our first project on our permanent home. How's that sound? All right, I'm going to hold everybody that clapped. You guys can take the first hour off. Everybody that didn't clap, you're first. All right. Anyway, we're glad, uh, we're glad you're here this morning, and I hope you will find today's message encouraging. I, I, as reading through it and, and just seeing uh, what God has to say through Scripture, I think it's a message that we all need. Um, none of us are alone uh, in trying to escape stress or to simplify our life. And this series, looking at six ways to find our peace, um, really focuses our life back on that close relationship with God. And so... Um, before we do that, let's take a moment and pray, and then we'll dive into Scripture and uh, see uh, God speak to us today. God, we thank you again for uh, the opportunity to worship here. We thank you for the blessings that we see all around with new life, and uh, God, just the, the blessing of our, our new permanent home that you've provided for us, and we just know the, the lives that are going to be impacted there. We know the community that's going to, to grow there and, and the connection, and God, we just uh, we see such just a benefit of being part of your family. We can find support and love and care for each other. So God, as we look at your word today, let it be encouraging to us. Let us move through the clutter of our life and, and really focus down on you and the peace that you can provide. So this morning we ask you to bless this time and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, so many of us struggle with, I love the, the one quote in the video, um, said it's stressful adulting, right? You know, being an adult is stressful. And, and, you know, so many of us have asked that question, you know, how do I find peace? How do I find contentment? How do I find a place where I can just breathe? And so many of us struggle with that on a daily basis. And I tell you, it's, 
there is a way that we can truly find peace in our life. And in, able, in order to, to find peace, we've got to understand what that is, right? It, we can't just keep it as, you know, just as vague as possible and just say, well, maybe it's me being happy uh, or maybe it's me getting the things I want or whatever it is. That's going to bring peace in my life. It's something much deeper than that. And I think as we look to understand what peace is, we need to see what it's not. So the opposite of peace is conflict. And conflict is defined as a clash or something that's incompatible. You're trying to force something uh, to fit when it doesn't fit. And you've got this rub and you've got this friction. And what is generated from that, uh, when you can't make it work, it turns into worry and stress and anxiety and all these things. And, you know, as we look at our place and our position with God. In Psalm 99, verse 9, it says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy mountain. For the Lord our God is holy. And we contrast that to our place before the redemption that we talked about last week. Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's an incompatible nature here. And without Jesus, without that hope, without that solution... There is a friction, there's a rub that causes this source of conflict in our lives and we'll never be at peace, we'll never find that place of being able to breathe, even in the midst of turmoil, even in the midst of everything falling apart. We'll never find that place where we can just sit there and breathe unless we have that close relationship with God. You know, God has a purpose for everything and as He designed you, as He built you, as he watched you grow in your mother's womb, and, and he knows every part of you, everything has a purpose. The reason that you are the way you are, you know, I hear that so many times, and, and I say that to myself, well, that's just the way I am. God knows that. He made you. He made everything, and as you look at the purpose and design of creation, as you look at nature around you, and you look at all the, the specificity of, of, of everything that God has, has designed and put his hand on, it is too intricate, too detailed, too amazing to not have a purpose. Every animal, every fish, every human being, every bird in the air has a purpose. And the very fact that we're here today and we're alive means your life is meaningful. It's not without hope. And the one thing, you know, as I was studying this and looking, I was, you know, always searching for that idea of inner peace and, and, and inner contentment. Uh, we use those terms and we see that. And there are even religions that are dedicated to that. To uh, One in, uh, in particular, their approach is to keep asking questions, to keep searching for the answer until, and this is the goal, honestly, the goal is to ask so many questions that at, at one point you stop asking questions because you're just tired of asking. And that's where you find your peace. Basically by giving up, recognizing it's bigger than you. And while there's some truth to that, I would say the answer to the question is where do we find our purpose, where do we find our peace, is within God. In Colossians 1, verse 16, it tells us, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. Guys, you've got to understand that we were made by God for God. As he breathed life into Adam, as he formed him out of the dust, he 
desired a relationship with Adam, one that he would converse and teach and, and, and have Adam walk beside him in the afternoons. And all of creation looked great. And, and even in Adam, he was pleased. And he then noticed that Adam needed someone as well. He needed that companionship, someone that he could pour into, that he could emulate God, that, that he could have a relationship with. And what's interesting is he didn't create another person out of the dust like he did Adam. He took part of Adam and made Eve, which is an amazing story in itself because what it tells us as men is everything we need, everything that would complete us, God provided in the perfect uh, person that would stand beside us. And what it tells us, I like that. They didn't listen. I got a caveat to that. Here it goes, the other side. And ladies, everything that you need in life, everything that you desire, everything that you're searching for, God has provided from the one He took you out of. Those things in life that we desire and that we uh, search after, this is what He made us. He designed that, that relational aspect and then we look to Him to be completed for the ultimate wisdom that we find. I love this uh, quote by Mark Twain. It says, the two most important days in your life are number one, the day you were born, and number two, the day you figure out why. Guys, it's an amazing thing to figure out your place in God's will, and that's not always something that happens overnight. So as we look at this today, we're going to be looking at part of our six-step series here. We're going to be looking at today, Discovering Purpose. So if you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter 2, uh, verses 8 through 12 is what we're going to be looking at today. And as you turn and find that, I want to set the stage a little bit uh, for the author here. P uh, Peter, being uh, one of the inner three, one of the top three, if you will, of the disciple group as he followed Jesus and, and all these things that he got to witness and that he got to see and that Jesus poured into him and everything from watching Jesus calm the storm on the sea to calling him out of the boat and he being the only one that gets out. Peter saw a lot of things through the ministry of Jesus. We see that as the Last uh, Supper, Jesus is declaring to them and he's teaching them a bunch of different things, but he also identifies that someone's going to betray him. Someone's going to sell him down the river. Someone's going to stab him in the back, and that person is sitting right here at this table. And of course, all the disciples start asking the questions. We know the answer. That was Judas but all of them were, were questioning who could it be? Who would do such a thing? And Peter swears allegiance to Jesus. I'll never, ever betray you. Ever. What's amazing in this is that Jesus lets him proceed through that and declare it. And he looks at Peter and he tells him and he says, you know, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. Peter, of course, never, that'll never happen. And, you know, we look at this, and as it proceeds that night, they leave the upper room, and Jesus goes to the garden to pray, and he asks those guys, he says, pray with me. And he goes in and he weeps. He's stressed out. He's full of anxiety. He knows what's about to happen, not only the physical aspect of the sacrifice, but he knows what he's about to bear for us, what he's about to become, the very opposite of God. A life that has been completely smooth and completely in line with the will of God, completely at peace, is about to become completely chaotic because He's going to become sin for us. So He goes to this place and He's weeping and He's kneeling and He's praying and 
in this moment, we find that he submits again to the will of God. And he does this three times. And the guys can't even stay awake while he's praying. But as he comes out the third time, he says, guys, it's time. Here they come. And as they come to arrest Jesus, Peter uh, vehemently tries to, to defend Jesus. And he pulls out his sword and he tries to, I, I'm convinced, he tried to, to uh, go ahead and uh, relieve Malchus of his head. Um, but I think he missed. Either that or, you know, Malchus had like matrix skills and ducked and only got his ear, right? And Jesus says, no, 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 we're not, we're not doing that. He picks up the ear of the people, that, of this guy that's arresting him, who he knows they're going to kill him. And he performs a miracle and heals this person. But Peter's standing there, man, he's ready to fight. You're not taking him. Peter also, we find him later that night after the trials that he's sitting out there by the fire. And, and this is a very intimate area, this courtyard. It's, it's not big. And as they sat out there and someone recognized him, they recognized his dialect, they recognized his accent. And they said, oh, you're one of those Galileans, you must follow Jesus. And we see this progression of Peter full of fear full of anxiety, full of stress, start to deny Jesus one time after the other. And it even tells us that he curses the name of Jesus. Curses them. I don't know him. Stop saying that about me. And the third time, the rooster crows. Peter's realizing what has just transpired. And at the same exact time, Jesus is being led out of his prison to go see the authorities. And Jesus looks at him. He didn't have to say a word. And what we find in this moment is Peter is filled with despair. And it tells us that he wept. I tell you, there's an ending to that story. This writer that we're about to look at his words is that he finds and he sees Jesus again on the Sea of Galilee, standing on the shore, cooking him breakfast. And when he recognizes it's Jesus, he doesn't ask to get out of the boat this time. He just jumps out and he swims to the shore, desperate for that restoration. And Jesus doesn't even give him an opportunity to, to say he's sorry. He just says, Peter, do you love me? And as we go through this today, I want you to see that Peter's writing here from a very personal standpoint. He's writing to those that are persecuted. He's writing to those that have been scattered and are lonely. He's writing to those people who are marginalized and overlooked and treated unfairly. And as he looks and as he teaches us here, I want you to ask, your question, you know, uh, ask yourself, uh, some of these questions and, and think about have you ever been in a place kind of like Peter where I'm sure he asked why was I even born why did you create me to, to live in this world with this pain with this stress why is all this happening what's the point in, in living what's the point in going further and I tell you believe it or not most people if not all of us ask that question there are times when we all face the reality of our situation. And Peter was there as well. And he writes this to his audience with a heart that is heavy for them because he's been there. He knows this. So as we look at this passage today, read along with me. Uh, we're actually going to start in verse 9. Peter says here, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, that may, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You know, so as we look at this, what is Peter telling us that helps us understand our purpose? What is he telling us here that helps us see uh, our purpose here and, and what God has designed us to be and do? And, you know, when we start to look at this, we've got to kind of back up and look at it from God's perspective and what he's teaching us as well. And the first thing we see here is that God created you for his own possession. He created you uh, to be in that relationship with him. And as we look at verse 9, it tells us that a people for his own possession. Now, this isn't something, um, especially in this context, as Peter's writing, that was uh, looked at as negatively or something out of the ordinary. It's actually something you wanted to be. You wanted to be inclusive into who God's people were and how they were identified. So as he's telling us this, we know um, that truth is being spoken here and that God desires this walk with us. He wants to, uh, to come beside you when you're knocked down, when you're feeling low, when you're uh, lonely, to remind you that you're not just out here on an island. You're not abandoned in life. Is that He is there with you because you are His. In Psalm uh, 100, verse 3, it tells us this, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Guys, He knows who you are. You're not out there just wandering around aimlessly and hopeless and lost. He looks at that and He knows exactly what you're doing. In fact, we all are very familiar with the story of the 99 sheep. In fact, we've talked about that here before. And the one that has gone astray. And it tells us that the shepherd goes after the one that's lost and leaves the 99 because he knows the 99 have strength in numbers. He knows that the 99 can protect each other, can look after each other, can support each other. But the one who's lost, the one who's wandered off, the one that's in danger of being picked off by predators or falling into a place it can't get out without anyone knowing that, that's the one with the urgency that he needs to go after. He doesn't leave you when you need him the most. He doesn't abandon you when you're counting on Him. He's always there and He's always present because you are His. You know, as we look at this, we also see that we were created for His glory. And man, what an amazing thing that is that we get to be His ambassadors, that we get to represent uh, the truth and the love and, and the person of who God is to others. Uh, in verse 9, it tells us again, right after a people of his own possession, it says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. You know, last week we looked at redemption and what he does in our life and the hope and the, the restoration that he provides to us. And this is what Peter's writing. Remember, go back to what Peter experienced in, in the lowest of lows and, and the despair he felt when he wept. When he was broken. And think about how he was restored and redeemed and put back in his place of purpose by Jesus on that shore and telling him to go feed his sheep, to be the leader of that church that was starting in Jerusalem. This St. Peter stood on the steps right outside the temple and preached an amazing message. 
3,000 people got saved. This is the same Peter that was cursing Jesus just 40 days earlier. God restores. God has a purpose for him. And he's writing here from a place of being able to proclaim the excellencies of what God has done in his life. He can say, listen, guys, you didn't, you didn't look at Jesus. You didn't have to look at him in his eye. And, and after I've cussed him out, and then he looks at me, you haven't had to see his heart broken face to face. But I have. And I'm going to tell you this, that even in that, even as low as that was, he looked at me and asked me, do I love Him? We're here to proclaim His excellencies, and you guys have all this in your own life. Whether you've been through a, a low point in your life or you're there currently, God can walk you through that, and as you come out of that, you can reach into someone else's life, put your arm around them, and let them know that they're worth something. That you've been there. That you've felt that same pain. That you've been lonely. That you've been neglected. That you've been treated unfairly. But let me tell you, God is here. And I can tell you why. Because this is what He's done in my life. That's proclaiming the glory of God to others. Sometimes we like to put you know, nice big churchy words on things, right? Makes us sound intelligent and, and, uh, and righteous. I'm going to tell you what. It, it basically boils down to this. You know, we're here. God does an amazing work in our life. Completely, radically changes you. And then... As you walk through the trials and things of life, start being attentive to what he's doing. All you got to do is share that with others. All right? That's an easy way of saying proclaim his excellencies, right? Talk about what God has done in your life with other people. Be an encourager. Bring hope and light to someone's life. Not simply just, you know, just inundate them with a bunch of negativity or even sit down in the, in, in the stuff with them. Go along with them and show them, hey, there is hope because of what God can do. God's put us on this that we can do that because that, that is our job and, and as His ambassadors. And, you know, look at Matthew 9.36. It tells us when He saw the crowds, He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Do you look at people with contempt or do you look at them and say, man, they really need some hope. They really need to feel loved. They're harassed and helpless without a shepherd. That's what we're here to do, to proclaim His excellencies. Another thing we see here in this Scripture is that God created you to love Him and enjoy Him forever. You know, as we think about what Jesus was asked, you know, that last week was just amazing. If you've never done a study of just the last week of Jesus' ministry, amazing stuff. Uh, and if you ever think Jesus had any ounce of fear in his body, um, look at that week. So many of these lessons that we, uh, that we know and that we study were given on the steps of the temple with the priest standing behind him saying these things, wanting to kill him. And they're having these conversations with literally him standing right in front of them. He went to the place where they were and he taught us stuff. And one of the things that they tried to entrap him with was what is the greatest commandment? They wanted to see if he would name one of the laws. And then they could say, well, uh, that's not really uh, the greatest law. Well, how do you determine that? You know, and, and try to trap him in some kind of legal argument. Jesus was also an amazingly brilliant person. 
He answered their question, what's the greatest commandment, by quoting Deuteronomy to them. And what's so interesting about this is that all the Pharisees would get up every morning, and the first thing that you had to do was to pray the Shema. It's a prayer. It's Deuteronomy uh, 6, and as you walk through that, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. They pray that prayer. Jesus, in His answer, praise the prayer. So if they were to ever come back and say, well, I mean, that's not the greatest commandment, then Jesus would have had an instant return and say, well, why do you have to do that the first thing in the morning? Why is it the first word that come out of your mouth has to be that? See the brilliance? I love Jesus. He's my kind of guy. But he tells us here, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And when we start to do that, the second part that he gives us comes a lot easier. And he tells us that we're not only devoted to God, but he also says that he wants us to love others as ourselves. Peter touches on this in verse 11. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul and keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. He's saying, listen, love God. Follow after God. Let your passion be for God and for what He has designed you to be and to look at where He's placed you and to be the light and encouragement to others and point them back to the redemption that you have experienced. You know, as we think about this, and I love uh, John being one of those top three as well and being so close to Jesus. And John's kind of the opposite of Peter. Peter was the older uh, disciple. He was the headstrong, you know, make a rash decision. Um, he's also the natural-born leader. John was more of the uh, one that sat back and analyzed and listened and absorbed very close to Jesus. And he was also the only disciple that was present there at the crucifixion. John writes us in his first book in chapter 4, verse 16, it says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Listen, if our lives are filled with hate, if our lives are filled with anger, if our lives are filled with contempt and skepticism and cynicism and negativity, and that's how we look at our society and that's how we treat other people, where is God in any of that? Where is the love that He has shown you in any of that? It says that if we're abiding in Him, if we're walking with Him, that our lives are going to reflect Him. Finally, as we look at this, I want to point to that part about you being created to love others. God created us for a mission. You know, He, he gave us that, those marching orders as He told us to go out and make disciples and teach them everything that I've taught you. Well, what's everything Jesus has taught us? You can walk through those Gospels and you can read those words and look at what He was trying to communicate to us that there is a different way of doing life. And it doesn't revolve around being religious or trying to make, you know, check off boxes to impress God. He's saying that your life needs to be radically changed. It needs to be radically uh, just molded by Him and it needs to reflect who He is. And only He can create that in you. 
That's the amazing part about it. I was having a conversation this week, and there really is no other world religion uh, that requires nothing of you to be fully incorporated and fully redeemed, fully made righteous, fully made self-aware, whatever you want to fill in the blank with. Everything else requires you to do a checklist that you have to walk through these things. Jesus is the only one that came willingly who put everything on the line, who said, you know, even though you hate me, even though you curse me, even though you won't live for me, even though you despise me, even though you can't stand me, I'm still going to die for you. I'm still going to take your sin and my blood will cover that. Jesus does that for us so that we can understand what it truly means to have love for others. We don't come into that with all these expectations and things that we have to checklist off. Well, if you just do this, then I'll love you. That's not real love. As we think about this, it tells us in verse 12, it said, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Listen, if you're doing stuff that's countercultural and uh, going against the grain, guess what? People are going to say all kinds of things. They're going to say that uh, you're narrow-minded, that you're, uh, we know all the, the isms today, just, and the ists, just list it. You know, this is what you are. This is how you are. This, and all these judgments that are cast and put your way. But let me tell you, he's telling us here, don't worry about what they say about you. Live your life for God. Let your deeds, let your life reflect the truth. People try to to say things about you. If there's no credibility, the truth will come out eventually. So when we look at this, we need to understand that our lives may, that we should live those to glorify God. And as we put our actions into into place and, and we start to love and care for people without any pretense, without any expectations, without any... Um, ideas of trying to get something in return. That's acting honorably. That's showing your neighbor how much you love them, no matter what they look like, no matter what their lifestyle is, no matter the things they say or the things they do. Yeah, they're lost. What do you think they're going to do? They're going to live that life because they have no idea that there's a different life. So don't sit in your house and look out your window and go, oh, those evil, yucky, ugh, look at them. They're so dirty. I had a funny conversation this week I'll share with you. Um, <laughs> I was talking to a guy, which I was completely amazed, by the way. Um, I was sitting, uh, <clears throat> and um, just his wealth of knowledge about Scripture and about a bunch of things just caught me off guard. And he asked me, he says, well, I mean, wouldn't people say something about being in this place? I was in a tattoo place, okay? And uh, artist, great artist, man. He's a good guy, too. Christian. Rough around the edges, you know, but surrounded by a group of people. And he says, well, I mean, uh, you're, you're a preacher? You know, that's always the question. I don't know. I guess I don't look like one. Um, but I say, yeah. And so we, that started the conversation. He says, well, I mean, wouldn't your church members not like you being here? And I laughed, and I said, why is that? He said, well, you know, I mean, we're just, you know, dirty, you know, you know, you know how we are. And I said, listen, man, Jesus went to where the people were. And I was like, he always got accused of talking to the riffraff, hanging around with the wrong people. And I was like, you know, 
listen, we're called to be his ambassadors. We're called to go out and reach and talk about the hope that he gives. And man, that just sparked a huge conversation. Two hours that we sat there and talked. All about things in Scripture. I'm going to tell you, that I walked out of there. My, I literally, my, I have my jaw open, right? I was like, yeah, I can't believe this. That just happened when you least expect it. I'm going to tell you, it comes from a heart of not sitting there in prejudgment of people. You don't know that person that you're sitting beside that, that may be hurting, that may be lonely, that may be suffering. And so what if they have piercings? So what if they have tattoos? So what if they're wearing a suit? A lot of times we can hide a lot of things. We can put on a good mask for people and pretend to be something we're not. Pretend we've got it all together. But I'm going to tell you, I, I can speak for me, I can speak for our staff, I can speak for everybody. You know, we don't. None of us have it all together. We have dark days. We struggle. We walk through the same struggles and stress you do. And we sit in a place that we have to come to as well and recognize that God is the only one who can make a difference in our life. And as we explain that to others and as we look at that, that brings purpose. So why are you here? What does God have in store for you? What does He want you to be? What does He want you to do? Man, when you start exploring that and understanding, there is a reason why He created you and made you the way you are. Don't get sidetracked by all these other things and don't fall into our own place of looking at people and thinking, Somehow, because we've been forgiven, we're somehow better than that person who is miserable and in their place of being lost. You're not any better. The only thing that makes us better is when God looks at us, He sees Jesus' blood. That's the only thing. So when we start to approach our community, when we start to approach those others with true love, it doesn't matter what they look like, what they do, what their skin color is, what place in town they live, how much money they make, if they're a Yankee or they're from the South, it doesn't matter. Because it, it goes above all that. Our identity should be found in Jesus. You know, when you ask somebody, you know, if you had to self-identify, what would you identify? And we know that is big in our culture today. You know, some people will tell you their political affiliation. Some will tell you where they're from. Some will tell you what their job is. Do we ever say... That I belong to Jesus? Is the first thing we ever say, you know, this is who I am? Or do we say what we are or what we do? It's an interesting question, but as we look at this, we need to understand these things. Let me just recap quickly as I close. First, you need to understand that you're a child of God. If He has stepped into your life and as light has shone on you and you have recognized at some point in your life that you're a sinner and the only solution to your place of being in sin and separated from God was accomplished by Jesus on the cross, that His, that his shedding of blood is what took your payment of death. Your works, our sin, equals death. We cannot be part of God. God is love. God is life. He's light. Everything on this side Everything that we are and everything that we do equals death. The only thing that can bridge that gap, the only thing that can make that step is what Jesus did for us. And he proved that point when he was resurrected from the dead and he was given the keys to both death and hell. He overcame them all. 
And what's amazing about that is, is when we've experienced that in our life, when we understand those truths, it's like a light coming on, like a light shining on you, and you recognize the truth. That is something that God does, that He is, is being a catalyst in your life. And the amazing part about that is He allows us to respond to Him and to walk with Him and to recognize His Lordship. But once we've done that, what next? Once we've experienced that regeneration, that redemption we talked about last week, what's next? We need to understand that we belong to Him, that we're His kid now. And just like any parent in this room, as we look at our children, they are a treasure. God looks at you the same way. He didn't die for you to simply think that you're not worth it after the fact. That was the first step of showing His love for you. He treasures you. He loves you. He wants to, for you to put your full trust and confidence in Him and to walk with Him and to trust His will and direction for your life. He also gives us the ability and the opportunity to show that love to other people. That's an amazing thing. Jesus taught a quick story about two servants that... Um, this master was calling in his debts. The bank was calling in their loans, right? And the guy came in and he, he owed just an exorbitant amount of money. And the master said, well, you can't pay your debt. You're going to jail. Uh, and sell his wife and kids and get as much money as we can out of it. And the guy begs for his life. He begs for his family. And the master, being gracious, looks at him in this huge debt and says, you know what? Uh, okay, I have pity on you. I forgive you. You don't owe me anything. That's an amazing story in itself, but Jesus continues because there's a lesson here for us. As he walks out, it's not just about redemption. It's about how we live our lives after that and showing love and grace to others. This guy who just got forgiven, you know, $20 million, gets up, walks out, and goes and finds a guy who owes him 20 bucks. And not only did he confront this guy, it says he grabs him by the throat and he chokes him. And he says, give me my money. And the guy says almost the exact same thing that this first one did. But this servant, this guy looks at him and says, you know what? No. You owe me 20 bucks, you go to jail until you pay it. No mercy. No grace. Even after he had experienced it. Guess what happened? when the master found out about what happened. I can go ahead and let you know, he wasn't too pleased. And he calls that guy back in. And then the judgment comes. I don't want to be in a place where God comes back in my life and says, you know what? I did all these things for you. I extended you grace and mercy. And what did you do in repayment for that? You went out and you harassed people. You went out and you judged people. You went out and you had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to love people. And you didn't do it. Because you didn't want to. I'm going to tell you, that's a dad talking to his son. Believe me, he'll have that conversation with us. I don't want to be in that place. I want to worship him. I want to, to, to see why he made me and, and to just dive into that. And that true worship that we experience, that it goes beyond singing songs. And that, that's part of it. And I hope when we're up here and we're... we're Praising God in music. I hope you're reading the words because that's what you're saying to God. You're not just singing to hear yourself sing. You're singing it to Him out of praise. 
And that's what we're designed to do and, and that we'll love Him forever and we've been given this great opportunity to find Him and to reflect Him to others. There's two things that I'm going to challenge you with this morning and a couple of things actually as we get ready to come down and, and have a time of response. But let me just share this quick verse. It says in Hebrews 4, 15 through 16, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Listen to this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There's so much there. We could preach a whole message on that, but I want to tell you, if you're here this morning and you're in a place of trying and needing peace in your life, uh, why not try talking to the one who actually understands everything about you? Why not try talking to the one who designed you? The one who made you? We try to figure it out all the time, and we'll read book after book, and blog after blog. We never go to the source. We never go to the one who designed and created you. Try talking to the one who understands your pain. Who understands your suffering. Who understands exactly what's going on in your life. With that, I want you to try offering complete devotion to Him. Are you loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Are you loving others like He wants you to? Here's an invitation. You know, there's nothing magical. And I like our new stage too. It's bigger. Um, because we got more room. But there's nothing magical about these steps, okay? I'm going to tell you something. There's very, there, but there is something very special about a, uh, a physical response to what God's doing in your life. It's nothing about the steps. It's about your response. It's about getting out of your comfort zone and it's about being alone and, and, and putting yourself apart to pray and to speak to God. It, it, it's that walk. Man, if you've ever been there and you're suffering and you're in pain, man, that is something about that walk to the front that I, I, I'm telling you, there's so much that God speaks to you in those moments. I invite you to come down this morning and I want you to commit those things. I mean, if you're stressed out and, and in pain and in suffering, get along with God. And finally, if you are in need of anything, you know, those, all those things that pile on us, maybe it's just been a terrible morning, terrible week, month, already a year, you know, we're in February already. Maybe it's just been bad. And that's about the only thing you can say. I'm going to tell you, there's a place of rest. There's a place of peace and a place of comfort, and that's found in Jesus. He tells us this, Matthew 11, 28 and 29, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Let's pray. God, we thank you again this morning for those promises. We thank you for the love that you've shown us, how you've reached into our life as, as lost uh, folks. And God, sometimes we just find our, ourselves in a place of being harassed and, and, and helpless, and we just feel like we're fighting on every part and every front. God, remind us that there is a place of peace. 
that there is a place of comfort. That we can find joy in the moment, even when everything else has, has fallen down. That we know that you love us, that you care for us. That you're right there with us. So this morning, I just, I pray that our heart in this time of response here, that we're not worried about what our neighbor is doing or the person in front of us or behind us. And God, that we just focus on the words and we just take a moment just to find ourselves in your presence and sing with everything in us the love that you've shown us. And we just respond to that in an amazing way. So God, this morning, we just declare we do love you. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.